Well, praise God, it's a good day to be here, right? Be alive. Amen. Well, I want to just get right into it. There's a couple of boys that were in a neighborhood, and whenever these boys were around, everybody knew that there was trouble that was going to ensue. And the mother of this, uh, these two boys was a single mom, and she was, you know, at her wit's end, not knowing what she was going to do. She was always trying to figure out how to handle these boys. They were always trouble. And she heard of a new pastor who had moved to their community, and, and he worked with boys like this and had great success. And she said, i, I got to go meet him. And so she went down and talked to him. And when she talked to the pastor, he said, would you please meet with my boys? He said, I'd be glad to, but just send the youngest one first and alone. She said, all right, I'll do whatever you say. So she sends the young man down to meet with the, the pastor, and he sits down in the pastor's office, and the pastor looks at him, and he says, where is God? Well, the boy doesn't know what to say. He just sits there kind of nervously, doesn't do anything. The pastor looks over him again and leans a little in. He says, I said, where is God? Well, the boy's getting a little more nervous. He's getting kind of scared, doesn't say anything again. And finally, the pastor stands up and reaches around, points him right in the nose and says, Where is God? And the boy jumps up so scared, runs out of the pastor's office, runs all the way home, finds his older brother, and drags him into the closet where they plotted their mischief. And he says, Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. He says, Oh. He said, We are in big, big, big trouble. I mean, like more than we've ever had before. He says, What are you talking about, big trouble? We didn't even do anything. He said, No, I mean, I mean, dude, we are really going to get it this time. I mean, this is the worst ever. He said, What are you talking about. He says, come on. He says, no, I can't even say. He says, tell me what is going on. He said, well, I guess that God's come up missing and they think that we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you miss the point of the story, right? <laughs> well, today I hope you don't miss the point of the story because we're going to talk about money. Now, most of us, if you're like me, growing up, I've grown up in church my whole life. I've probably been tithing since I'm five. I've been hearing about money a lot. And when most folks hear about the topic of money in church, they get a little nervous. And like you and I, we both, we all start reaching for this and we grab it and we pinch it a little tighter just in case. <laughs> but I just want to encourage you today, you don't need to grab a hold of it and pinch it. Andy didn't ask me to come because you're going to build a building, or maybe you are, but maybe you are, I don't know. But she didn't ask me to come because you want to raise money, and hey, we help them. But we are going to talk about money. And we're going to talk about it, what God's Word says about it. Now, I, I left in my absence of mind and sickness and, and being up till a little later than I should have been. Um, I have a Bible that I usually bring every time that I speak, and I didn't bring it with me. But I'll describe it with you, okay? So I'll kind of describe this Bible. Uh, we did a partnership with American Bible Society where we highlighted all the scriptures in the Bible that deal with money and possessions. Has anyone ever heard how many scriptures there are in the Bible that deal with money and possessions? This is going to be interactive, by the way, throughout our time. Anybody ever heard? Anyone want to take a stab at it? Anybody? 100. 100? All right. We're going to be like prices right. I'll, I'll figure out some price here before it's done with. All right. So I got 100. What? How many in the scriptures do you think? How many scriptures in the Bible? Not too many. About 15. 15. I got 100 and I got 15. Anybody else want to take that? All right. Going higher. 200. 200. All right. All right. So, <laughs> 201, right? He played prices right. He knows. Um, Fred and Alan. Oh, see, I met you, Alan. Alan. So, Alan, you won, but you got 10%, not even quite 10%. There's 2,350 verses in the Bible that deal with money and possessions. You think, I didn't think the Bible could say give that many times. Well, it doesn't. But I want to ask a quick question of all of you in the room. How many of you deal with money on a pretty regular basis by a show of hands? 
Uh, the rest of you, we need to talk afterwards, right? <laughs> um, and you deal with this a lot in your life, right? You'd say, uh, how many of you, like me, probably 99.9% .9 of your decisions, if you trace down the decision, money's at the basis of it? The root, right? So why did I go to the store to save some money? Why do I get gas here to save some money? Why did I go to work to earn some money? Why did I do this to save some money? Right? So I'm always, in my life, decisions and trying to make decisions about money. And the Bible has 2,350 verses about this topic. Now I want to ask you something. How many of you have been in church like me the majority of your life? All right, keep your hands up. Now, those of you who have been in the church the majority of your life, how many of you have heard or have been any teaching around what the Bible says about money on a regular basis, you know, and I'm not talking about budgeting, whatever, I'm just talking about all, everything, all the time, so everybody, no, keep your hand up if you, if you did, no, I mean, seriously, keep your hand up if you've been taught, trained on a regular basis about what, now, do some of you see the problem, maybe, of this, a subject that we deal with? On a day-to-day, everyday, majority of my decision basis, the Bible has a lot to say about it, but we don't talk about it. You see where the storm's coming here? It's going to cause a problem, isn't it? So the, the objective of what God's called us to do at Compass is to teach people what the Bible says about a topic that you deal with every day of your life. And it's not about trying to get something from you. It's about how, help you to know what God wants for you. And so that's what we're going to do today in part of our time. That's number one. Number two is I'm going to take you through some, some things that money, the topic of today, the topic of today is what if, James, maybe I should have let you do this. Uh, the topic is if money could talk, what story would it tell? If your money really, if, if George could, you ever like see those old cartoons? Like if George came off and his little mouth started moving, right? If George would step up in here and just start saying something to us, and he started to talk to us, what would it say? What would he say about how I earned the, the money that I've gotten? What would he say about the money that I spend? What would he say about the money that I save? What would he say about the money that I'm giving? What story would it say? So we're going to look at, look at this topic a little closer today. <coughs> One of the other things I'd like to uh, just encourage you is that I'm going to give you a little road map uh, so you can kind of follow along. Now, I, I asked Andy, I said, you know, at the end, what do you want to do? And he said, you know, whatever. I said, you, you, you call audibles a lot, right? He said, yeah, I live there, right? You know, it's like, so I'm going to give you the road map, but I'm also subject to the Holy Spirit taking it where he wants to go. So there's been times when I've had this whole thing laid out and I'm ready to go, and I felt the Lord said, okay, you can do this with that. And so if that's what he does today, then we'll do that. And so we'll see what he wants to do. But I'm going to do a couple things. I want to tell you what, what I believe money, some things that money says to us. And then I want to give you some things about what the, I believe the Bible uh, is very specific on a number of the times. i got a lot of material, and we're not going to get through all 2,350. I'm going to get through about 2,200 today. So you guys got anywhere to go? <laughs> just kidding. I'm not, I'm not going to do that either. Um, so we're going to go just a few little, few little passages. A few, really, just a few. And then I want to give you some practical tips about how to make your story better, your money story. What would be some things that I believe that will be successful for you that we, my wife and I have been living for now for about 15, 16 years, and we've seen the fruit of that. And then I'm going to give you three action steps. Okay? I believe that God, when he tells us to, to do something, we're not supposed to be just hearers of the word, but to be what? Doers. Doers. All right? So I want to give you some action steps where you can literally take this and, and go out the door today and say, okay, I got, I got something I can go do. 
All right, you ready for that? All right, well, let's just pray first and see what God has for us, right? Holy Spirit, just uh, now come before you, just, just asking that you'd, you'd speak to us. Thank you that you, you created the ground at the foot of the cross level. None of us better than another. So we humbly come before you and ask that you would illuminate our eyes so that we can see. And you would open our ears so that we can hear. And that you'd give us hearts with courage, strength to obey, to follow you. And we can't do this on our own. Uh, there's so much in your word that talks about how this issue of money is not overcome by our own strength. And so I pray today that you would encourage us and speak to us. Convict us where we need convicted. Encourage us where we need encouraged. Use me as a vessel. Uh, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase so that you can speak today. That you can speak to your people the way you want to speak. With love and truth. Thank you for our time together now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I got a story I want to tell you about uh, a missionary family that I know. Uh, this missionary family, um, they've been missionaries for a number of years. And one of the things that's been interesting is I've got to know this family is they've struggled in the area of money. Here's a few stats on them. Uh, when they first got started in ministry, they felt God called them as they were studying through the scriptures to not ask for support. I don't know how many of you know missionaries. Anybody supported any missionaries or folks, you know, and they send out the letters and those things. And this, this family felt like God told them, don't send out letters. Don't send any requests. Just trust me to provide. Now, that was a pretty big step. Uh, but they've watched now God provide for them over the last 15 years. And as God spoke to them out of that, seek first the kingdom out of Matthew 6, there's one of the things that he says, is that all these things will be added unto you. So this family has seen God add all these things. He has taken care of them and, and supplied for them, even to the point where there was a 1,200-square-foot addition built onto their home. Pretty cool. And so I've, as I've learned uh, more about them and with them, the, one of the things uh, over their time, uh, their highest income it was uh, about $48,000. So for a family of nine... $48,000, but their giving last year was about 20, was it 27%? They gave away 27% of that income. Now, if you start thinking about the math, that really there's not a lot of makes sense in that math, why they would do that. But as they've surrendered their life to Christ and said, God, we want to do things your way, and as they've tried to help other folks, it's been a struggle. And, and, and I know personally that guy has quit, quit being involved mentally said, I'm done thousands of times, thousands of times. Because to trust God, one of the things God spoke to him was, I didn't call you to teach people principles about trusting me. I called you to live them and then testify out of your obedience to them. I called you to be a living epistle, to be read of all men. Anybody can tell the story, but I want you to live the story. A lot harder to live the story. Amen? Well... A couple of years ago, uh, this, the guy, the missionary, was 
uh, at Christmas time, and they've never sent out letters, uh, but they felt God had told them that when the end of their ministry was going to happen was when their ministry account was at zero, their, their savings account was at zero, and their checking account was at zero. And until then, that they were to, to seek first the kingdom and keep going. Don't stop. Don't look back. Don't be like the farmer who said he looked back, but he, he kept going. You know, keep your hand to the plow. But this year, the ministry account had gone down to zero. And the savings account had gone into zero. And it was Christmas time. And the missionary's wife says, well, um, what are we going to do? And he said to his wife, he said, well, you should look at the Christmas presents, but don't buy. Now, how many of you moms, if your husband told you that, you'd punch him in the nose? <laughs> and so, this missionary went out, wrote some letters, and said, you know what, God, I've, I've earned the right. I've been doing this long enough. I've earned the right to send out some letters. Wrote the letters, got them ready, went back out the next morning to pray, and as he prayed, he felt the Lord said this to him. You can do it your way or my way, but it won't be both. You can do it your way or my way, but it won't be both. If you want to send those letters out, you got to figure it out from now on out. And so the missionary burned the bridge and tore up the letters and said, God, I'm all in. Amen. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to do it your way. And that was about the 18th of December. And between the 18th of December and the end of the year, when everybody else in the world, you guys all get your mailboxes filled toward that time of the year, right? Saying, hey, we need you to help pitch in and give. And it's, you know. And in that time, <clears throat> no letters, no phone calls, no requests, no meetings. And they had the biggest month of giving that they'd ever had in the history of their ministry. The biggest ever. They burned the bridge. Now they've got two kids in college, and they've watched Jehovah Jireh provide for them. See, the problem with this guy is his name's Dan as well, and they, he keeps looking for Dan Jireh in the Bible. You guys know what Jehovah Jireh means? It means God our provider. But he keeps looking for Dan Jireh. Dan Jireh. Where's Dan Jireh in the Bible? Like, I should be providing. I should take care of these things. But there is no Dan Jireh. <laughs> There's no Andy Jira, there's no Alan Jira, no Fred, there, there's no, there's none. Jehovah Jira, God the provider. Well, I'd like to introduce you to this guy, because he's actually here today. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. And so the last 15 years, we have been on a journey my wife and I, these are our seven boys. We have seven sons. And I know some of you at the end of the day are going to come up and say to me, you know what causes that, don't you? You know, right? like, you know what causes seven children? Like, you know, because I got big family, you know, the big family jokes. Like, like, yes, thank you. I do know what causes that. I know we talk about things in church that we don't talk about, like sex and money. And I know, right, you shouldn't. I do get it, though. I get it. And I can tell you, I know, finally have figured out what causes it. Thank you. I have. I finally, because my wife wanted a little girl, and we were over seven, right? So that's why we have seven boys. So, uh, yeah, we have. So our oldest is 21, go all the way down to four, and our two oldest are in college right now. And we've watched God provide for us. 
My oldest too. My oldest last year in his uh, was thirty-five hundred dollars for his room, board, food, everything, including you know books, you know everything. Thirty-five hundred bucks. I was like, man, it's cheaper for me to send him to school. You know, he eats too much. Like it was cheaper to send him to college. I mean, how many times does that happen, right? Like go on out, get on up to go on back to college. It's cheaper to you to be there. But we've got to experience some things that if I would have had it my way, I would have never done it. I don't want to have to trust God for everything. I don't want to have to see him be Jehovah Jireh because the problem is I want my hands on the wheel. I want to be able to steer the ship. I want to be the one in control and driving. But that wasn't God's plan for me. But I also want to present you. I don't think it's God's plan for you either. And so we're going to look at a couple things here about some stories that money would tell. So, what stories, just think about this for a second. What stories would your money tell about you? Cheap. Huh, what did you say? Cheap. Cheap. Woo, brother, I'm with you on that one, right? All right. <laughs> you know what? But in Christianity, we know what we call cheap. Frugal. I'm not cheap. I'm frugal, right? Where they put a lot, and I've even challenged our team. This is a little side note, but I've challenged our team, uh, uh, Compass. I say, I want you to come to me and point out to me all the scriptures where God's word exalts the characteristic trait of frugality. Now, am I saying that frugality is wrong? No. But the danger is frugality can be for the sake of frugality, but not for the sake of, of having God's perspective. So there's a danger sometimes. When we don't have God's perspective about something that we deal with every day of our life, do you see a problem coming? Do you see the storm coming? So I'm going to hopefully give some clarity around some of these stories and the storm that comes. Well, here's some of mine. All right, here's some things that money would say if it was telling a story about me. All right, it would say, he trying to find purpose in me, but I'm not the purpose of life. He tried to find his meaning. Like, uh, my goal when I was young was to become the richest man on the north side of Columbus, Ohio. Like, Lex Wexner on the east side, I'm going for the north side, man. And, but when I get there, I'm going to give. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll help my boys out of church. I'll give them a little money, right? I'll, I'll, I'll be good. I'll give. But who was really at the center of that? And to find my purpose. So, money can be used for a purpose, but it's not to be defined as your purpose. Amen? Amen. That was my problem. So another one for me was he didn't know that I'm much better as a servant than a master. I'm not meant to be in charge. And Jesus talks about this. He said that no one can serve two masters. Money was not designed to be our master. It's not designed to be in charge. It's designed to be a tool. It's designed to be a tool. And like other powerful tools, like I'm a farm boy, right? So we cut wood and chainsaws and things. You know, like these are valuable tools, but put in the hands of a person who doesn't know how to use it. What is it? It's dangerous. And if they don't know why and what and, and how it can be used properly. The problem is for most of us as Christians, no one's ever taught us how to use the tool. So how do we use a tool? Dangerously. Recklessly. Not even knowing that God has given us something to be used as a tool. Here's the next one for me. I was the root of 99% of the decisions because I was the master. So there was a time, do anybody remember when gas was $4 a gallon, by the way? Scarred you for life, didn't it? You still remember like it was yesterday, right? 
So I was playing basketball at the time, and I would go play basketball at this one uh, place with a bunch of old guys, and we'd go, I'd go get gas for wherever I was going that day, and, and there was a lady behind the counter at this one gas station that I was go to every time, and I knew she didn't know Jesus. You know, like, how do you know she didn't know Jesus? Like, I said, hey, good morning. She's like, ah, you're like, woo, you know, no love of Jesus coming out of there. So, <clears throat> so every time I'd go, and I'd feel like God would say, just, just love on her, just encourage her, and so I'd, I'd say, good morning, Luann, how are you? And, and everything, mm, so she just gradually, God was warming her heart and God was giving me favor with her. But then when the gas is $4 a gallon, again, I was raised cheap. I was raised, you know, frugality, right? If I can save some money, that's a good steward. So the gas station around the corner offered their gas for three cents off a gallon. So guess where I went to get gas that next morning? Well, of course I'm going to go get gas so I can save some money. So I get gas at the other gas station and I come home that morning. I'm spending time with the Lord. And I felt like in my time with him, he asked me this question, Dan. How much did you save this morning when you got gas at the other gas station? And I went, uh, 12 gallons, 3 cents, 36 cents. Save you some money, God. Good steward. <laughs> Dan, what do you think is more important to me? The 36 cents that you saved or Luann's heart that I've called you to? Oh. I wanted to crawl under my desk because I realized in that moment what I had valued more was this. But what do you think my Heavenly Father values more? And I felt like that morning he said to me, Dan, it wouldn't have mattered to me. It wouldn't have mattered to me if it was $36 more, $36 million more. The problem with you, Dan, is that you, you don't know what a good steward is called to be. A good steward, first of all, knows the position of the owner, right? And that he owns it all. And he said, Dan, the bank of the kingdom is not running short. I'm not up here saying, oh, man, oh, thank you for saving the 36 cents. I mean, God's not up here saying, like, please, would you switch to Geico so you can save 15% or more on your house? Because it would help me reach more people. If you would do this, it would help me reach all these people. <laughs> And I want to assure you, the bank of the kingdom is not running short. God is not celebrating. Oh, thank you for saving that money. See, I, I don't know his position as owner. I don't know his perspective. But when I get to know his perspective and his position, I start realizing what he values most is people. What I value most is money. And what he showed me that day was, Danny said, here's the problem with you. 99.9% .9 of your decisions, money is at the basis of the root of that decision. Where you buy, where you sell, what you do, what you, why you work, where you invest, all the decisions all keep tying down to this. 99% of your decisions are based on this right here, Dan. But you know what, how many decisions for me are based on that? None. I make 0% of my decisions because I don't need more of it. And I felt like God gave me this example that day. It's like it'd be like if... Uh, <clears throat> your name again was? Lewis. Lewis. All right, Lewis, we're going we're gonna to have a little interaction here, right? Let's say for just for a second, this was an analogy God gave me, but I'm going to do it with Lewis, all right? So let's just say for a second that you own all the sand in the world, Lewis. All right? It's kind of goofy, but let's just say you own all the sand in the world, okay? And I come to you and say, hey, Lewis, I'd like to give you some sand, what would you say to me if I said I'd like to give you some sand, but you own it all, right? What would you say to me? 
He'd say, thanks, <laughs> moron. You know, like, you can't give me something that's already all mine, right? <laughs> or let's say for just a second I say, oh, man, Lewis, I was so careless and reckless. You know, my family, we went to the beach a couple weeks ago. And we just had a great time, but I got a little careless. I dug a bucket of sand, and I got it, and I dumped it out in the ocean. I lost it. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me for losing that sand? Will you forgive me? Yeah. Why? You don't need any more of it. It's all yours. And I felt like that was a picture God was trying to give me with money. I can't. So a lot of times people say it's giving back to God. Have you ever thought about this for a second? If the scripture is true, which we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but the scriptures are very clear all throughout it, that God owns what? Everything. Everything. So if I owned everything, like, does anybody have anything, like, seriously really valuable with them right now that I could borrow for just a second? <coughs> nice. Is that your wallet, dude? <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got it. So let's just say for a second that I'd like to give a gift today for participation. Okay, Lewis, thank you for participating today. Here you go. There you go, buddy. All right. <laughs> Give me my hand. All right. Woo-hoo. Now, there's a point in David's mind saying, hey, buddy, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't give something that's not yours. So wait, didn't we just say that God owns what? Everything. So if I give something that God puts in to meet my care, because David just entrusted that to my care for a little bit, right? And if I just give it without asking the owner, do you see a problem there? Yeah. I see a problem. I should be in a relationship with the owner. I better take that back seriously. I'll get trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I should be careful because if the owner gave it to me, I should be asking him what I should be doing with it, right? That's what a good steward does. And if the, the steward's like, hey, have you guys ever heard that these things bounce if you catch them on a certain corner? If you want to see that, you guys want to watch it like this? <laughs> right? Give, it Give it a shot, right? It's an iPhone. So he's entrusted it to me for a season. This season's going to be pretty short, by the way, right? But the danger is when I start to think that it's mine, and then I start thinking that I'm generous because of how generous I was that I gave this to Luis. Stupid. I'm not generous. I'm just taking his and putting it where he tells me to. Right? So the problem is, most of us, thank you, Dave, by the way, appreciate that. Most of us have not grabbed a hold of God's perspective and we start making 99% of our decisions based off of money, but it's not the thing we should be making our decisions off of. We should be making our decisions based on the relationship with the owner. But if I never talk to the owner, could you imagine if you had a financial planner? Anybody have a financial planner? Right? You have a financial planner, and you talk to that fun, and then he says, I mean, you got so much, I don't even pay attention anymore. <laughs> I mean, like, really? <laughs> like, seriously, like, where am I at? Like, don't worry about it. You know, who cares? Like, wait a minute. I mean, how long is he going to continue to be your financial planner, right? But he is a fiduciary. He is a manager, a steward who's been entrusted to manage your stuff well. And if he doesn't do his job well, how long has he stayed employed by you? <laughs> Yo, Donald Trump, before he was Donald Trump, was you're fired, right? I have to yeah. use it a little differently, but... <laughs> No way, man. 
So if we want to have a good relationship with the owner, we need to be in dialogue with him. And first of all, we have to understand his perspective and realize he doesn't want me to make my decisions 100% of them. Now, I will say this. I have matured over the last 15 years. In that time that was 99, I think I've grown. I mean, I've grown. I'm like down to 95%. So praise God, I'm growing, right? <laughs> Work in progress. Um, but the problem is that the reason I have wanted to quit all these years is my last line because they put their trust in me. I put my trust in it. That all the times that I've wanted to quit the last thousand years is because when the, the ship was starting to go like this and it was starting to teeter, and I'm saying, God, I, I got all these kids to feed and all this stuff to do, and well, I don't see how it's going to happen. And, and God said, You know, what, what's wrong? Then what's wrong? Why are you nervous? Why are you scared? Why you, why you want to quit? I hated when they asked me that question. Hated it. You ever had a parent who just asks you the obvious question sometimes in a room? You're like, stop asking me that question. Because I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I hate it. But it's the reality. The core of my heart. Are you willing to trust me? I'm trustworthy. But, you know, we're going to look at this passage a little later about what the Scripture says about this, that it's not worthy of our trust. It's not worthy of our trust. i got a couple more. we got to keep moving. we got to be done by three. I heard, right? Three. Okay. Um, he had more of me than he needed, but he was never satisfied. Now, I'm going to define, we're going to get into Scripture today, because Andy, you said something, and I'm going to tee you up on it right here now, right? I want to ask all of you, how many of you by, would say that you are rich? Okay, got a couple, all right. So my goal before the end of the day is to have 100% of the hands up on this one, all right? That's going to be my goal. I'm going to see if I can convince you. Not on my way. I'm going to take you through God's Word. I'm going to help you, and hopefully you'll see it, and you'll agree, and you'll see it that way. But see, the problem with me is I was never satisfied, and that that's dissatisfaction allowed me to almost ruin my own marriage. Why? Because I became a lover of money to the point that I would make decisions in the best interest of George than I did my wife, Sherry. And I say, George? Like, George who? Like, where did, where did that George go? Did I have it in my pocket? Did I give that to somebody? Oh, no. <laughs> George, right? And we went through a Bible study several years ago. My wife and I did this one of our Bible studies we have called Money and Marriage God's Way. And one of the questions is, have you ever loved money more than your spouse? And I'm thinking, no. But Holy Spirit... Would you show me? I mean, in the remote chance that I've done that, have I ever, the remote chance that I've loved money more than my wife, Sherry? And he played the tape back. And the first 10 seconds, like, wow, shut it off. Wow, it's so vile. And I realized how many decisions in my life where I really was not interested in what was best for Sherry. I was interested in the best of George. And then I wonder why we have marriage problems. When, when the scripture is very clear, husbands love your wives, your wife, not wives, plural. <laughs> As Christ loves the church. And I'm thinking, does Jesus ever love money more than his bride? No. But I've loved money more than my bride. And you say, well, how, how, what do you mean? You love like you're over there going, Georgie, Georgie, Georgie. I'm not going to put my lips on it. because uh, No. 
But m when my wife and I were first married, her, she came from a family of unbelievers. And she'd want to go visit her family. And they lived three hours away. And we were in ministry, and I'd say, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. That's expensive. We can't do that. We're not going to spend that money to go down and see your family and, and spend the weekend with them. We'd have to spend it for this and this and this. No, no. But now as I look back, what was I more concerned about? George. But if I really had God's heart, and she has the heart for her family to know Jesus, and I'm more concerned about George than I am about my wife and her family and the salvation of her family, would we know Jesus and we could share the love of Jesus? But I'm not interested in going because no way, man. I'll lose more of this. George and I will get apart, separated from each other, and that's not good. And then we deal with the consequence. Almost ruined our marriage. Almost ruined our marriage. Because I was consumed, right? I, I, you know, how can we get more? How do I get more of this? How do I get more? I, 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 we got to upgrade things. As we got to keep climbing the ladder. And if we spend that money doing this, then I won't get all the things that I want for me. One of the other ones is, is the problem is when I would start to get it, and God would give me more than I need. And now most of you in the room say, I don't, uh, more than you need. Like I, has anyone here ever had more than you need? Yeah. Yeah, right. See, the problem is you, you misinterpret language. You, you don't understand. You, you're saying that when I say that, you're, this is what you're thinking. I don't have everything that I want. Therefore, I don't have everything that I need. See, you're misunderstanding the language. And so the problem is, is that when I have more than I need, I make the assumption it's for my consumption. Anybody else ever done that? <laughs> I have more than I need. I make the assumption, well, if I have more than I need, of course, it's for who? Me. I mean, I worked hard for this money. I mean, I, I did this, 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 and uh, I'm so brilliant to come up with this, 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 and make extra money and do this. Of course, it's for me. But the problem, again, is if I'm not in relationship with the owner, I don't ask this question. And I don't know if any of you are note takers. This is a question to write down. That's a great question to ask of God. God, why did, I, why did you give me more than I need. And if I will consistently ask that question, God, will, I believe, will give me the answer. But the problem is, if I make the assumption it's for my consumption, and I never ask that question, everything comes in. If it comes in to me, it's for who? It's for me. Well, the last one is really a painful one. And, and the problem is, is they thought that they owned me, but actually it was the other way around. See, I, I sometimes think that I'm in charge. <laughs> But really, if money makes 99.9% .9 of my decisions, it, and it's the basis or the root of my decision, or it, it tells me where it tells me where to go, when to spend, where to do this, where to that, then really it is my master. It is in charge. And the problem is, I think I'm in charge, but really I'm not in charge. George is in charge. All right. All right. So we got to look at a couple other things here. Uh, we're going to go to some scriptures. Is anybody here willing to read some scripture for me out loud? You, you want to hit me? All right, so we're going to go to 1 Timothy 6. Let's go. If you got a Bible, you got a app, uh, you got a phone, whatever, let's go look at it. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. All right, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. How am I doing on time? You're okay. Am I okay? All right. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. 
So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. All right, so we're going to break this down a little bit. So godliness with contentment is great wealth. And some of your versions, you remember, it says is godliness with contentment is great gain, right? So let me just, I like flipping scriptures sometimes just to, not, not, I'm not like getting uh, heretical or, you know, like whatever. But let's just say for a second, if godliness with contentment is great gain, could godliness with discontentment be great loss? Think about that with me. So if godliness with contentment is great gain, could godliness with discontentment be great loss? Meaning God gives me more than I need, but I keep saying to him, that's not enough, God. I need more. All right, now let me, how many of you are parents in the room? All right, so let's put it now in your home. All right, you get your child a gift or, or school supplies or clothes, and they get that gift, and they look at that those you know, school supplies, and they say, that's it? Like, come on. Like, if it doesn't have this label on it, I'm not wearing it. And then you said, oh, well, let me go get you some new. How many of you did that? Or how many of you said, no, not really, right? <laughs> now, if your child responded that way, did you still love them? Care for them? Let them eat dinner at your table? <laughs> of course you did, right? But did it deter from the intimacy of the relationship? Does discontentment create a little bit of separation? Of course it does. So could it be that with our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe, the provider of every good and perfect gift who owns everything, and He gives us more than we need, and I say, that's not good enough. You need to send a little bit more my way before I'm saying I'm good. You think there could be a little angst in the relationship? So could godliness with discontentment be great loss? I think it can be. I'm not talking about salvation, but I'm talking about the intimacy of the relationship. I think that contentment. Paul even says he's learned the secret of being content in every circumstance, whether they had a little or a lot. Learn the secret of being content. We'll, we'll, that's a, for another topic another time. All right, so, so this next verse is essentially about the, the, the U-Haul behind the hearse. You ever saw, seen a U-Haul behind the hearse, right? You're not taking it with you, right? You came in with nothing, you don't leave with nothing, right? So you, you, you can't take it with you. So this is where I'm going to try to convince you now, verse 8, that I believe this is where Paul is helping us understand and define what the word rich means. All right, are you ready? Here we go. So he says, if we have food and clothing, let us be what? Because if I died tonight, do I need a new suit? Well, if I don't have one to be buried in, maybe, but I could argue that, but I don't really need it. What else do I need to get through today? Are any of us guaranteed another day or there? Kobe Bryant found out that this week, didn't he? God says our days are numbered in Psalm 90 to teach us to number our days. We assume that I've got out here, but it might be, how much more do I need? And so I believe that Paul then, by saying that, if we have food and clothing, now how many of you can honestly say as Americans, if I, hey, I, food, clothing today, I'm good. 
I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm going to torque you a little bit. Really? Really to push? Are you, are you willing to push it all in? Food? Just what? No more cupboard. No more closet. Just the food that you could find today and, and the clothes you got on your back. I'm good. I'm in. Eee, it gets a little tighter now, don't it? So but I believe Paul's trying to say something here to us, that if I have food and clothing, let me be because I don't know. And I'm not saying that this means that we should all live a poverty gospel, give everything away and not have a closet of clothes, have food in the pantry. But the point of this is to say to ourselves, am I willing to do as the owner calls me to do? We're going to look at a story in a little bit about a guy who the owner interacted with in God's word, but he wasn't willing to do what the owner told the, him to do with the owner's stuff. And the problem is, is I think, hey, it's for me, and I need more, and if you do call me to something, like, no, I'm not content. So, But if I have food and clothing, let us be content. I got enough what I need, because I don't know if I have tomorrow. I'm going to just rest here. Now, does that also mean that you should not work hard, excel at what you do, make money, and do the best you can do? That's not what this is saying. So please don't misinterpret that. Okay? If God's given you a gift to earn to make money, keep using the gift. Keep your foot on the gas to do as much as you can. But just don't make the assumption it's for what? I'm giving you the line from her. Don't make the assumption it's for your... Consumption. consumption. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate that. Don't make it the assumption it's for your... Consumption. All right? So then he defines what I believe is rich. But people who long to be rich. So by definition, rich is having more than you need. Now, I'm going to do my poll again. How many of us in this room are rich? And I still don't have, I don't have, I don't have 100%. I'm going to keep working this. I'm going to tighten the screws down on this one until I get it. I'm, I'm ruthless, by the way. I'll keep digging until I get it, all right? So let us be content. But people who long to be rich, people who long to have more than they need, all right? Now, Mike, right? I want you to read verse 9 and 10, but read it first person. Okay. okay, you see you see what I'm asking? He's going to read it first person. Don't, don't talk about people out there. Read it like it's, hey, this is me, so it's his. He's reading it first person. You follow along first person. All right, here we go. But when I... When I long to be rich, I fall into temptation, and I'm trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge me into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... When I love money... When I love money... Which is the root. Um, when I love money, it's the root of all kinds of evil. And I... And when I crave money, I've wandered from the true faith, and I've pierced myself with many sorrows. Ow! So if I long to have more than I need, what might happen to me? That don't sound good, does it? Now, I'm going to be the first to stand up admit, I am all over this scripture. It's me. I long to be rich. I, I, I don't, even though I'm confronted with it and I'm, I'm, I'm learning and growing and trying to move away from it, but the reason I wanted to quit all these years of ministry is because I didn't have everything that I wanted, but God was supplying all that I needed. But I want to be rich because I want to have more than I need. 
all right, I'm going to keep, I'm going to work this one. I'm going to keep working this one, all right? We've got to go to another one. We're going to go to another scripture here. And we're going to look at somebody who had a problem here. This was the rich young ruler, all right? So the rich young ruler in Matthew uh, 19... And I want to summarize the first part of the story. So the, this dude comes to Jesus. He's got something, kind of a little angst in his heart. And he's coming to Jesus, if you want to follow along in verse 16. And he's come to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I'm, like, I'm, I, got some, uh, I got something in my heart's a little torqued. And I, I want you to help me with it. And he says, you know, like, what good thing must I do? And Jesus says, well, if you want to be good, obey the commands. And he says, like, which ones? Like, what? don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, or date girls, or do. That's not what Jesus said, by the way. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, sorry. That's not what that says. Uh, so he, he says, obey the commands. He says, okay, like what? And he says, well, you know, obey your father and mother. And he, he goes down and gives him a couple of the commandments, right? And the guy says, got it. Got that one down, Jesus. Now, could Jesus have called him on the carpet on any of those? Like he said, like, don't commit adultery. <laughs> don't, like, don't murder. Like, because Jesus redefined him, right? Jesus said that adultery is not what you do. It's what you... Murder is not what you do. It's what you... So could Jesus have called him on the carpet on any of these? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you bet. But he didn't. He said, well, I tell you what... <clears throat> You want to ready to read for me? Sure. Let's hit it. 21. Um, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Keep going. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his... Wait, let's stop it for just a second. So he went away sad because why? He had a lot of stuff. He had more than he needed, and he made the assumption it was for his consumption. Now, you're following me. You're tracking with me, right? He had more than he needed, and he made the assumption it was for his consumption. And he said, uh, I love you, bro, but <laughs> sorry. Uh, now, was Jesus calling this guy to poverty? He was not. Let's go back and just think through for a second. What was the invitation that every disciple got? Put, put down your stuff. Your nets. Your tax collector's table. Whatever it is, set it down and come follow me. What did that mean for those guys? They left everything behind. Did this guy get the same invitation? What's his name today? We don't know. But we know the other guys who said yes, don't we? See, he missed his destiny. Jesus gave him an invitation to be one of them. And what kept him from being one of them? His stuff. And what happens to us sometimes? God's calling us. I don't think he's calling us ever Ever is he calling us to poverty, necessarily. <laughs> Again, but I don't think that's the, the norm. He's calling us to surrender, to fulfill the destiny that he has for us. The problem is we get too tight, our hands wrapped around the stuff because it becomes what I love. And, you know, it's like that, my precious, you know, like, like sorry, that was some of you movie buffs are like, what? Uh -uh. And now my daughter's going to read. 
Just kidding. <laughs> yes. So Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Camel. So he's essentially saying to it's hard for a rich man. Now, how many of us are rich in the room again, by the way, by definition? Now, see, some of you aren't going to raise your hands again, but you better get back up there. <laughs> it's hard for who to get in? Don't say, don't point it somewhere else. It's hard for who to get in? Uh, Turn your finger around. It's hard for who to get in? Why? I have more than I need. I make the assumptions for my consumption. I think it's all for me. And the problem is, if that's the direction, it's going to be harder. Why does Jesus say it's harder? Because you, you, you never saw you haul behind going into heaven, right? You ain't taking it with you. And we sometimes get all about the accumulation and the upgrades and everything else, and I start losing sight that why am I here? I don't understand, first of all, the owner, his position, and his perspective. It was meant to be given to me to use as a tool, but I didn't use it for a tool to, for good. I start using a tool for who? All for me. Of course it's for me. Right? And so this guy made the same assumption for the consumption. He had a lot and he left. He left his destiny. And Jesus is pointing this out. And to these disciples, they're like, wait, what? What do you mean it's hard? How, why is it hard? Because he said, humanly speaking, on your own strength, you don't have the ability to, to get over this deal. You, you don't have the power within you to separate yourself from this. There's only one way that you can separate yourself from this, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. And is it overdone in one day? No, it's done day by day by day because it's a part of the discipleship journey. Another topic for another time. All right, we've got to keep going. All right, Luke 12. We're going to look at another story, all right? So I have to ask myself the question about the rich farmer. Would my story be much different than his? This is Luke 12. And so this story is, uh, again, Jesus has a guy come to him and says, Jesus, you know, what must, you know, oh, wait, this one, he says, hey, tell my brother to divide the estate with me. <clears throat> And then Jesus replies, says, hey, uh, buddy, just in case you forgot, you know, be on guard against all kinds of greed. To which the guy said, greed? Like if your older brother died, what was entitled to you? Part of the estate, right? So it's like, what do you mean greedy? And then he tells a story about the guy who tore down his barns, built bigger barns and this. And so let's pick up the story there. And then Jesus, what, Jesus is telling the story about this guy, verse 19. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, now what does that sound like, by the way, for us as Americans? Retirement. Oh, buddy. Right? <laughs> right? Hey, this, isn't, that, isn't this a dream? Isn't that the American dream? I get to that point that I can do what? Live life about me. Me, me, me. I got finally made it, man. I worked hard for all those life for me, so now I can get to this point so I can live for me. But did God ever design us to get all that so I can have it for? No. Keep going. But God said to him, you fool. Wait, fool? 
What? He's not a fool. He's the man, right? I mean, he finally got the place. He's the man. He's like on the front of Christianity Magazine today. Like, he made it. You did it, man. You got to the point of retirement. You can get back all those years of time and enjoy your life because it's all about you, man. But God calls him a... You fool. Ouch. Why? You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Okay, so I want to define rich here, um, because this, he doesn't talk about money. He says about a rich what? All right, so we said earlier that rich was having what? More than you need. But now that term, if we use it here, this is about talking about a relationship. A more than you need relationship with God. How many of you would like to have a more than you need relationship with God? See, see, for the problem in Christendom today, many of us are trying to say, hey, hey, I just want to try to help you get out of the flames of hell. Like if, if this was the line, like, whoo, I just got in. You're like, the flames are burning me. Like, oh, I made it. I'm in. I accepted Jesus, right? I don't think that's God's objective for us. I think God's objective for us is if this was that line, he's saying, I don't want you to just figure out how to just get in. I want you to enter into the presence, receive all I have. And this is saying that he's a fool because he's stored up money and stuff instead of trying to find a rich, a more than you need relationship with God. And what caused him to not have a rich relationship with God? His stuff. Because he had more than he needed, and he made the, what, assumption it was for his? Because he had more than he needed. Ouch, painful. All right. <clears throat> Hopefully I'm, I'm getting you to believe this now, that you're starting to think about, hey, that I'm rich. And what's God calling me to? Because the problem for most of us, we live in a me-first kingdom, right? So we, we do the me-first living and with some leftover giving, right? Me first living with a little leftover giving. But I'm not asking God, why did you give me more than I need? I'm assuming it's all for me, and I'm not thinking about it. So here's what I do with my money. I live first, get everything I want. I save second, and then I, um, let's see, what do I, uh, time to give. Wait, uh, shoot. Uh, oh, here, yeah. George Washington. George Washington is the most known president in churches around America. Did you guys know that, right? <laughs> Because I don't think about, and so again, this is not trying to get you to give more because the church needs or wants your money. This is not, I, I am not here to get anything from you. I want you to receive today what God wants for you. And he wants for you to know his ways, to seek first his kingdom. And not live a me first kingdom and a me first living. But the problem, especially of us in America, do you think this is true? For the majority of us, me first, kingdom. I live first, I save second, and I give. But what if we flip the script? What if we really start looking at it of God's kingdom first? It, the power of greed would be broken down because we stay, say, I'm going to give first. I'm going to give first. Seek first the kingdom. Put his kingdom above your kingdom. My kingdom. Put his kingdom first. Give first. First fruits. There's a story in Genesis 4 about Cain. 
And Cain didn't want to do it God's way. So some people just, oh man, you're going to get into that tithing stuff. I don't, I, you know, I believe in tithing because I've been doing it since I was five, all right? I'm not, I don't need you to do it. I just, I believe in it because I've seen it work. But the problem with tithing is this. The problem is some people think if I get to that point, then it, it, it leads to this thinking that all that 90% is mine and 10% is God's. That's the only problem I have with tithing. Because it isn't about that. It's all 100% God's and 0% mine. And when I have a me first kingdom, I should be asking the king, you gave it to me, what do you want me to do with it? And sometimes, like the rich young ruler, he told him to do what? Push it all in, man. Like, wait, what? Yeah, push it all in. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Me first will get you to live first for yourself. Kingdom first is I'll give first. I'll save second. Live on our... What would happen in our country if Christians really grabbed a hold of this? They would take care of every need. Every need of poverty, ever foster care, everything, everything it would ever be needed. If we really start saying, hey, we want to be the body of Christ. We want to share the love of Jesus. And we can do that through an abundance. And this is really what he talks about in Malachi, about bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. There will be more. And when it will be all in, think about what would happen. We're talking about trillions of dollars. If every believer in Jesus Christ would say, you know what, we're going to do it. And just a tenth. If they just did a tenth. I'm not talking about people who say, man, it's all God's. We're willing to... Ten is just like paying the rent. <laughs> you know, like, it's all God's. All, whatever He asks me to do. And sometimes He asks us to do things that don't make sense. So I'm going to give you a couple tips. All right? I believe if you want to do it God's way, you need a couple practical things. So I always like to give you a couple practical things. I'm going to zip through this pretty quick. But if you want, to, you want a tip to do story, your money story better practically, here's four things I think you have to do. All right? You're going to repeat them back to me. When I, you're going to capture. All right? So capture means I've got to know, I've got to capture everything that comes in and everything goes out. Because if God wanted to see the reports of his money, and I can tell by looking at this crowd, you're, you're a pretty bright crowd, but I would bet that the statistics are still true. 32% of you could tell me today where every penny goes. 32% of you. That's it. And so because you don't know where God's money is going, you can't make decisions on what God wants you to do because you're like, uh, it's like it's floating around and you're like, well, it seems to me what I feel like, like maybe. And you can't operate it in God's way if you don't know where it's going and you don't know where it's coming in. You got a hundred holes in your bucket and you have no idea. And so until you patch those holes in the bucket, until you can figure out and then make decisions off of data, because if it if you're if really if this statement exists in your household, it seems to me like you spend it all on clothes. Whoa! Seems to me you spend it all on tools. Well, it seems to me if that statement ever exists in your home, it could be easily eliminated with this right here. It's factual data, and there is no seems to me. So you capture where everything goes, all right? So then you're going to categorize it. What, what, what was that for? Tools? Was that for this, this, this? So you figure out where. And then you're going to compare, you know, do we have this much coming in? We have this much going out. What needs to, the last one is what? Change. All right, so repeat them. So you're going to do what first? You're going to ca capture it, where it's coming in and going out. And then I'm going to categorize it. Categorize. And then I'm going to do what? No pair. And the main thing that I, I tell folks, if you really want to be faithfulness, you've got to compare not to what you want, but you've got to compare to who what who wants. The owner. 
Maybe the owner says, mm, no. Maybe the owner says, yes. There's some areas in our life over the years where I didn't want to spend on certain things. And like my wife, she, anybody do love languages? My wife's love language. Everybody familiar with love languages? My wife's love language is gifts. Guess what mine is? It ain't gifts. <laughs> so, I ain't singing. Did you say singing? <laughs> no. Say, like, you ain't singing. My wife, maybe. I'm saying. Um, so, where God had to start saying is, um, buy her the roses. Like, what? Buy her the roses. Those are going to die in a couple days. <laughs> buy her the roses. So I have to be willing to compare what's on God's agenda for this money. So, and then when God starts to think, then to change. But the problem for most of us is we don't want to do what? We're all averse to this. It's what? Change. I do it God's way. All right. So if you want to do that, there's a couple of apps down there if you're not familiar with that. But I believe if you apply these four C's in your life, you can use Mint. It's a free one. I use Mint. I love it. It does most of the work for you. YNAB, every dollar is a couple other tools. All right. I'm going to get back into God's word. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're heading into the final stretch. Uh, we're going to look at James 5, 1 through 3. This one's going to hurt a little bit because I think I've, I hopefully have convinced you now all that you're rich. Right? So if, you're, if you start acknowledging that you're, you are rich, you'll start paying attention to the scriptures that are speaking warnings to us that are what? Rich. See, if I would have started with scripture, you'd say, well, that ain't talking to me, buddy. Thanks, Dan, but that ain't me. But now that you will acknowledge this is you, now you're going to listen to it and say, oh, 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 whoa, that's talking to me. So go ahead. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible trouble that had to Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are mocking the rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify or tell the story against you on the day of judgment. That causing any pain for any of y'all? It's going to testify against you. Your stuff is going to testify against you. And what's it going to say? You used everything of me for who? It corroded. You didn't think through. Why did God, you didn't ask that question. God, why did you give me more than I need? Why did you, of course it was for me. It's going to tell the story. Your stuff, your money is going to tell a story someday. When is that day going to be? It says right here, tell me. The day of judgment. When all the books are going to get pulled out. Now, you can fool some other people around. And, hey, I don't need you to do it for me. I, I'm not looking for you to impress me or impress anybody else around you. I want to help you be ready for that day because that day is coming. Amen? Amen? It's coming. And I want to help do everything I can to help you be ready for that day because it's going to come. And I don't want your stuff to stand up and say, you, 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 you. You are a me first kingdom with a little leftover given. I don't want your stuff to testify against you. I don't want it to say, I don't want your money to have a story that talks about you in that way. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. But where we got to, how do we, how do we get through this? We got to ask ourselves these questions. Do I want more stuff? Or do I want more stories? 
Do I want more stuff? Do I want to accumulate and get? Or do I want more stories? And how God used what I had to benefit his kingdom. Now, a couple of years ago, my wife and I have been, that give, save, live that I just taught, we started that in 2006. And so we start praying and asking God, would you show us what does that mean? What, is, what does that mean? Give, save, live. God, show us. What do you want for us? Now, again, we've been tithing for our whole life. But then God said, hey, I want you, and this is my wife and I both separately. We're praying. We felt God kept saying to us, and this is our formula. So please don't say, hey, that's what I'm going to do. No. You've got to ask the owner what he wants you to do. But I'm going to tell you what I felt, we felt the owner told us. It was to do 10, 10, 10. Do our tithe of 10% where we would give that right to the church. Do an offering of 10% where we'd put it in a separate account and save 10% right off the top. Now, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree, but I'm a math guy. And at that time, as missionaries, we were making $2,000 a month. So I do the math. <laughs> um, God, hello. <laughs> that ain't going to work. I can't take 30% off the top. I can't do that, and it, it ain't going to work. And this is where I felt God asked me a question. Dan, whose math do you want to use in your life? My math or your math? Like, what do you mean by your math? Like, fish and loaves? Manna comes from heaven? Gold coin in the fish's mouth? Like, whoa, yeah, I want to use your math. And I felt like he said, Dan, there's a, there's a catch. If you want to use my math, you got to do it my way. You trust me. So... We started doing 10, 10, 10. We started seeing God move. We see him. And in five years, we, as we started praying, in and, and, and one of the series that we went through, he said, I, I believe this. If you'll do this, if you'll do give, save, live, you'll start to experiencing having more than you need. And then you need to ask God the question, why did you give me more than I need? And so we'd ask that question. And then we felt God said to put it down on your debt and get out of debt. You just talked about getting out of your debt. But we felt God said, I want to help you get out of debt in five years. Not your student debt, but everything. Mortgage. And I'm thinking, whoa, dude, seriously, I make 2000 a month. That would take like a serious raise or some serious death in our family and we get an inheritance or something. <laughs> but five years later, in 2011, God supplied and paid off everything. And I did get a raise. We went from making 2000 a month to 2500 And God paid off $45,000 of debt. We gave more than we ever gave. We saw God get more involved in our life and our finances. We surrendered it to the Lordship of Him. And then we started to see God providing and doing some crazy stuff and giving away. But then we're right on the cusp. 2010, we're just about ready to... We're, God had made some great stories off time for today, but we're, we're almost ready to pay off the debt. We got like five grand left. And we had our sixth son. All right, we had a seven-passenger minivan. So if you're good at math, six kids, two parents, we can't all ride in the same car. My, I, I'm a fan of double buckle. My wife said, no. <laughs> God supplies a minivan. We had a little bit of money saved for that for in our, uh, our auto fund. We, we buy a van, and I'm thinking, yes. God told us five years, I'm gonna, we're going to get it done in four. Yes, I'm awesome. <laughs> uh, and then, I see, I would teach people this principle. I said, it's easy to say God owns it all until he asks you for the keys. Right? Amen? It's easy. Oh, yeah, God, you own it all. It's, I love you, Jesus. You own it all. And he says, oh, no, give me the keys. You're like, what? No way. And then God said, hey, I want you to give that van away. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm not giving that van away. You tell some rich people to give their van away. I'm not giving my van away, God. I'm using this to pay off the debt. Then we're going to have a great story. Like, um, 
So guess what? For nine months, I dug in. I'm not selling that van, not selling that van, drop the price, drop the price. And honestly, I put it on Auto Trader. It was the cheapest van in the United States of America. <laughs> a Honda Odyssey van. It was, I'm not kidding. Got like, he, like, I don't, I'm pretty certain that, never, that page never showed up on anybody else's computer but mine. <laughs> and we just felt God had started to put on our heart. It was going to go toward a single mom and started to give us a story. Here's, what, here's where I wanted to go. And so I called the license bureau. I live, we're Ohio residents, so I, I called the license bureau and you get fined if you don't renew our tags there within seven days of when. So I call and say, hey, I got a, this thing and da, da, this van. And, and, and the lady, she says, um, is that the van that's been sitting out there at the, at the gas station for sale? I said, yeah. I said, hey, yeah, um, I make a heck of a deal. I mean, if you, I mean, I'm, seriously, I'd love to sell it to you. And she's like, oh, it's a pipe dream. She's like, I'd love to. But I, I, I said, well, let me just call you, you know, at the end of the day, and we'll talk about it. And she, when I called her back, she said, I, I'd love to have the van, but I'm a single mom. And my husband left, and I don't have the money. And, and it literally was the story that God put on our heart. The story, God had already planted the story in our heart where it was going to go. The story was already in play. And God wanted to know if I'm going to be a character in the story. And so I go into my wife, and I got tears coming down my face. My face. And I'm not a, I don't cry a lot, so she's like, oh, who'd you talk to? Who's dead? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> nobody's dead. I said, I talked to this lady from the thing, and I, I, I feel like we should give it to her what he thinks. And she said, I've just been waiting on you. That's a caring, loving woman to put up with an idiot like me. For nine months, no, 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 God. So I call the lady back. And I say, hey, um, we want to give you the van. And she wasn't a believer. She's like, gave me an ex of it. Like, you're kidding me. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and she started profusely thanking me. And I said, oh, please, don't. <laughs> Don't thank me. Trust me, I didn't want to give it to you anyway. She's like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> I said, I'm going to teach you a little quick thing. I want to teach you. I said, I'm like the FedEx guy. I don't, I didn't, I don't own this. This is a gift from your heavenly father to you because he knows exactly where you're at right now in life. He knows what you're going through. He knows the struggles you have. He knows that you've been trying to figure out how to get through all this. And this is just a little love note from your heavenly father to you. I'm just the, I'm just the deliverer of the goods. If you want to give thanks to anybody, don't thank me. Again, trust me. This is a gift from him to you. And now what? That van always has a story. So I'm going to ask you the question. Do you want more stuff? Or do you want more stories? Stories of how you used what God had for you for good. All right. We're going to, we're going to land the plane. Are you ready? We're going to go to 1 Timothy. And then I'm going to give you three action steps. 1 Timothy. All right. Oh, didn't, didn't get it, did I? All right. So this is God's word to us. He's going to give us some advice because we've all acknowledged we're rich. We, we say, those, and there's a lot more of these scriptures in here. We can, another time, another place. But there's a lot more of these warnings to us. But now I think God's going to give us, to us who are rich, he's going to give us some love and, 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 and encouragement. Here's what I want you to go do because this advice is to me because I'm rich. And hopefully you see it to yourself now as well. Let's, let's, let's finish up here. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. 
if trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I'm going to stop you there for just a second. So is God calling us to have nothing? He doesn't, it's not a problem of having something. The, the problem is when the something has you. Right? Whether it's your favorite shirt, your favorite thing. I don't know what that thing is. For me, it was the van. Right? So he, he's, he, he gave us the van, and he allowed us to use it for our enjoyment. We loved that van, but it was no longer going to be a part of our family and a need because we, I, dying wife, didn't want to double buckle. You know, like, this is a great van. I love the van. But God said, it's time for you no longer to steward the van. See, because I, I had a problem. I thought, who was the owner? And I didn't want the story to be about that. I wanted my story to be written, but it isn't about my story. I'm just a character in his story. So he's given us stuff for our enjoyment. So then tell us, what, what do we need to do then? If I have all this stuff, then I, I, I've been able to enjoy it. But I, it's not just for me to enjoy it. What else am I supposed to do? Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Wait, wait. So I'm going to go back to that word again because this one's not talking about money. That, this word rich here is not about money. It's, it's what? In good works. So rich and good works. What's that word mean again? Rich is... More than you, not just what, like, what do I have to do to get to heaven? I mean, do I got to go to the prison? <laughs> do I got to go? Not just what do I got to need to so do. More than I need. Be rich. More than you need. And good, rich. All right. So I just want to keep pointing this word out. Um, they should be good in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And I believe this is what God wants for us. You know, your, your series right now, as you were talking about, is about John 10.10, 10, right? And I want to, uh, out of John 10.10, 10, this is the New Living Translation. It says, the thieves' purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A, not just how to get through, not how do I get through to Tuesday, but a rich, a more than you need, the abundant life. And I believe there's a scripture too that also says that, that, that man's life doesn't consist on the abundance of his stuff. So what do I want for you? I want for you more than anything to store up a foundation. It's coming. Right? That day of judgment's coming. These days are coming. And are we going to stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful? Or is he going to say, you fool. You fool. You live for yourself. You consumed everything for yourself. I have more for you. The devil doesn't want us to live that abundant life. He doesn't want us to store up for ourselves. He doesn't want us to use what we have for good to draw people in. See, what I was trying to tell that lady is, this is a gift from God to you. I, I'm, I'm just here to, to, to make friends with Jesus. I want you to, I want to use my stuff so that you get to know him. And that's what he wants for all of us. All right, here we are. Close down. What's my, my action steps for you? If you're willing to be in, anybody want to go in on this? Anybody want to go in? Uh, um, I got to start again. Chapter one. No. Right. If you're in, here, here's the three steps. I'm going to live like a manager, not an owner. I'm going to keep track of God's money. I'm going to capture, categorize, compare, and change. I'm going to keep track of everything He gives me and then start asking God the question Why did you give me more than I need? What do you want me to do with it? 
What do you want me to do with it, God? Number two, I'm going to give and save before I live. I, I'm not going to make the assumption it's for my consumption. I'm not going to see it. Have I got all this? It's just for me. I, I have to. Otherwise, I'm going to be called a fool. I do not want to see any of you or myself stand before God and him say, you fool. No, no. I don't want anybody here to be a fool. This is an action step we can take. I will give and save before I live. And the last one is I'm going to seek God's help so my stuff will tell good stories about me. I want your stories to tell good stuff about you. What would your money say about you?